Before we get started, you should probably know that the following podcast contains strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Also, it will almost certainly contain spoilers. Hello and welcome to Minisode 128 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast given a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, yeah! Good morning, how you doing? I'm okay man, how are you? Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday to you too. Uh, for date stamp purposes, noon not on a Sunday. Oh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you're editing this one. Um, <laughs> I'm feeling really good today. How are you feeling? I'll be honest with you, Mitch. I'm pretty tired, and I'll tell you the reason for that. I stayed up far too late last night watching the Pierce Brosnan James Bond films. (laughs) Okay, productive Saturday. Um, How was that? It's a mixed bag, if I'm honest with you. It's uh, kind of a slippery slope after GoldenEye. Yeah, see, I I haven't seen many Bond films in my time, I must say. but um, I'm aware that that is the general consensus about those. I'm not not good with Bond films. I'm good with Bond themes. Right, sure. Mm -hmm, Mm Mm-hmm. Like pretty good at that, I think. Uh, probably because I worked in radio for ten years, and part of that was just knowing things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, okay. But um, but a fun Saturday evening all the same, though. Yeah, yeah, it was fine. It was lovely. Yeah, that's cool. I um I spent my Saturday evening uh, finishing off scoring a short, Ooh. and uh, which was fun. It was good. A very nice process. Turned it around very quickly. It was good. And I uh, hanging out with my flatmates who are back and also not quarantining. There's been this weird quarantine back and forth between us all. That's um, right. And now I think that we're all legally allowed to leave the house. And that's lovely. Just in time for Glasgow and Lanarkshire going into tier four and we can't go anywhere anyway. Yeah, that looks like it's happening this week. Yeah, it seems that way. I'm braced for it. It's not a massive change to my daily routine, in all honesty. Um, <laughs> because all I really do right now is watch films and listen to music. And on that subject, what have you been watching this week? Well, I've had this knocking about for a while, but to be honest, I've barely kind of scratched the surface of it. But a while back now, probably probably well over a year ago now, before things were terrible, Indicator mm-hmm. put out an amazing box set of Norman J. Warren films. You may recall Norman J. Warren to be the director of Inseminoid. Okay, yes, um, a very early uh, Mitch's Pitch uh, film. One that my dad reappropriated as Floodlights Over Salem, if I remember correctly. You do remember correctly. It was very funny. I missed Mick. <laughs> It's time he was back. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, th- this box set's been kind of knocking about for a while, and it's one of those ones where I'm like, when am I going to get round to watching these really kind of sleazy and nasty films? And uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've done that now. Um, and this cool. box set, okay. by the way, fucking blew my mind. It was just like, it was one of those day one purchases for me. I was like, gotta have it. And then, uh, yeah, actually, when I came to dig into it, there's some really cool stuff on here. Was it one of those things that kind of arrived at the time and you were like, oh, good, this is here, and then you just kind of put it on the shelf and just stuff happened and you forgot about it? Exactly okay. that. And I've been looking at it, eyeing it up and eyeing it up and eyeing it up, and I thought, now's the time, now's the time. Focus your eyes elsewhere okay. and actually watch these. <laughs> um, cool. So yeah, you've got Satan Slaves from 1976 in here, you've got Prey from 1977, Terror from 1978, The Mighty Inseminoid from 1981, which, by the way, is still not allowed to be played on television in the UK. Wow, okay. And Bloody New Year from 1987. Again, a bit of a mixed bag in in terms of quality, but there's stuff to love in every single one of these. 
the box set is chock a block full of commentaries and it's just it's just preposterous to be honest with you there's a, there's some cool stuff on here though like later on in the box set i suppose you, you would say there's a thing called norman j warren presents horror show from 2008 which is a series of short films one of them is a my pal Ben Steiner's film The Flea. Okay, cool. Which was surprising. I had I had no idea. It's pretty pretty cool stuff, and also a, an old uh, turn your bloody phone off thing from Fright Fest. No way. That's that's very complete. Tons of stuff, and this is all like, UK and world premieres. This stuff's never been out before. That's very cool. So did you make your way through all the films this week? As yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. And, Good uh, work. Listening to not the, the commentaries as well. Norman J. Warren talking is just the loveliest man. Oh, nice. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to guess that's made up the main thrust of your non-side quest here this week, then. That's true. Uh, there was something else that, ar- that arrived yesterday, a couple of days early, which is always nice. But uh, Eureka put out Mothra on Blu-ray. Okay. Love it. Not going to go too much into it, otherwise this will just become a kaiju podcast. <laughs> Stop trying to make it a kaiju podcast. I'm watching it. <laughs> So uh, yeah, it's just it's a lovely addition to my collection. Good stuff, good stuff. Now, that's pretty much all my kind of main view, and that took up quite a lot. Between that and James Bond, there was a, there was a lot to watch there. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. It certainly sounds that way. I haven't watched a massive amount this week, but I do have some stuff to talk about really quickly. The last time we spoke, or at least the last time we spoke on a minisode, we were midway through the So Home Horror Festival Volume 3. We were in the aftermath of our live show at that kind of just being our sorry hungover selves um but i did say that i had some grand plans to watch some more stuff uh the next day yes that's right yes of course um and i did manage to do that and there's one in particular that i want to talk about um also there's a short that i caught at fright fest that played at the festival here as well uh, andrew bowser's little willie <laughs> okay what's this so this this I, this is really funny. So it's like a sixteen minute short film, which uh, I think is long for a kind of festival short. I think there's kind of a an unwritten rule that it'll be much harder to program something, or you're much less likely to be programmed if you break the fifteen minute mark. I can speak to the veracity of that claim, Mitch, having made one short that's seventeen and a half minutes and another that punches through the twenty minute mark. Yes. Okay. Aha. Uh-huh. Um. I think that like uh, I think that generally like shorts blocks are not as receptive in my experience to films of that kind of length. However, obviously, um, festivals that program things with features more likely to pick up things like that. And as a result, I have been jammy enough to catch Little Willy twice. First at Fright Fest and then again here. So what you have here is um, a former child actor who's known for this horror film called Little Willy, which is kind of like a Chucky character almost. Okay. Mm -hmm. From the 80s, just like... You see him living this kind of convention life, uh, you know, when he goes to places and um, sits at tables and kind of like, you know, like the autographs and people come over and ask him to say the line and stuff. Uh, you know, like, I think his line is something like, it wasn't me, little Willie did it or something like that. Okay. Great, great. Um, so like, you see people coming over and being like, say the line, say the line. And you start to see that this is kind of taking its toll on him a little bit. And he's like walking around with this kind of doll from the original film. This is so good. It's so much fun. Um, it's also got... Um, Adrian Barbeau, Zach Galligan, and uh, Jayma Mays from Glee in it. What the fuck? But, uh, yeah, this was directed by uh, Andrew Bowser, written by Andrew Bowser, uh, who also stars. Like, I cannot say enough good things about this film. It's so much fun. And um, I think that it's also kind of like, it looks a little bit at the kind of darker side of conventions and things like that and i think you know that 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 side of it does exist and i think that mm. leaning into that is interesting but it comments on that in a really interesting way but it's also very very funny and very bloody excellent that sounds good that sounds great fun 
Zach Galligan to me always seems like a nice guy as well. Yeah, I'm just thinking actually. I'm I'm, I'm going to reach out to Andrew Bowser. I want him on the show. He seems he seems like a nice guy. Lovely. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I saw that for the second time. Didn't talk about it first time around actually when I saw it at Breakfast. So I thought I would take the chance and talk about it here. Also, um, I caught a couple of features. Um, I saw Bleed with Me, which I thought was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so Reelected, which I was colder on. Right. But the one that I really want to make some time to talk about is uh, Threshold. Ah, right. Oh, my God. I'm really dying to see this. Uh, I know you've mentioned it to me kind of away from the podcast and our private text interactions. But Yeah, uh, because we do sometimes have interactions that aren't in front of microphones. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I've also seen loads of other people talking about this. And uh, yeah, it sounds very good. Yeah, very yeah this was very well received. Um, very well received. I think also possibly shot on phones, I want to say. Oh, right. Okay. Um, but this is uh, directed by Paul Robinson and Patrick Robert Young, and it's written by uh, Patrick Robert Young. And um, it's this kind of very insular story of uh, this brother and sister driving across, uh, well, kind of driving across America or on a long journey. Basically, the sister character claims to be cursed, uh, and she persuades her brother to just kind of drive it across the country to this place where she believes the curse can be broken. Right. So I absolutely loved this film. Like I, I thought it was great. It's it's going to be in my five. I would say uh, the festivals, like considering all the festivals have gone digital, I've seen so much great stuff at festivals this year. Not least at the Soho festivals. Threshold is so far up my street. If you're looking for a comparator point to the kind of thing that I respond to, that this kind of falls under. I would say it would be that kind of Mike Cahill sci-fi type thing, like um, Another Earth, sure. uh, yeah. Sound of My Voice, uh, Laterally, things like Perry Blackshears, They Look Like People, things like that. If you mm-hmm. like that kind of thing, uh, then you'll find a lot to like here. Uh, largely improvised. All right, okay. They did uh, an intro before it, and they kind of talked about the fact that if you watch this and like it, you should be aware of the fact that if you want to go and make something, you can make something, and I think that that's always a nice message to be kind of plugging. Yeah, yeah. As uh... I like, I mean, I thought this was great. I think that I don't know what the opportunities will be to see this uh, on a kind of broader platform in the mm-hmm. near future, but it's really, really striking stuff. And the ending is perfect as well. I got to say, this this is really, really great. I can't wait for more people to see it. Yeah, and another great, another great Soho festival. But I'm not going to say too much about that because I feel like we big Mitch up enough last week, you know, because Diego's had enough inflation. Yes, that's true. That's true. Um, but but yeah. no, in all seriousness, uh, yeah, Soho was awesome. And Threshold and Little Willie were my picks from the later part of the episode. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Is that all you're viewing for the week? I have a podcast recommendation I'd like to do really quickly, if that's okay. What? Um, I know. We haven't done one of these in ages. I came across a horror fiction podcast. One of the groups I'm in on Facebook, I think it might have been the Evolution of Horror one. Mm-hmm. Somebody asked about horror fiction podcast suggestions. And somebody suggested the Magnus Archive. Right. So I just, like, I'll give most of these things a try. So I dug in and ended up listening to like the first 14 or 15 in a couple of days last week okay they're like 20 minutes to half an hour apart generally basically what you have is uh this guy who has just taken over as the archivist at this place called the magnus institute which is um a massive bank full of statements given by people who claim to have had supernatural encounters right mm-hmm. uh, so it's an anthology and basically he's kind of inherited this massive vast pile of disorganized stuff and Basically, the idea is that every week it's a story pulled from the archive. That's cool. Um, and also, the guy's a skeptic. So you hear this ghost story, and then at the end of it, he gives this statement that kind of debunks it. What I would like to see as it goes on, because there's like 200 of these almost, I believe. Fucking um, uh, what I would like to see as it goes on is them to do a little bit more with the wraparound story. Right. But um, 
the self-contained stories are largely really, really good. Production's really cool, and I just think as an idea, it's really smart. So that's the Magnus Archive, and if people like that kind of thing, uh, which I do, as a lot of people know, um, I would say go get on that. However... Nature gone wild. Mm. So you are now fully in side quest mode. You, uh, you now know what it's been like for me for the last few months to a year um, between the Shop Waves 100 and the 90s. So your Nature Gone Wild side quest rolls into Chapter 3 this week? Yeah, and I've got to be honest straight away, Mitch. I've already copped out with this one. In what way have you copped out? I know when I started this, I had a plan to really only do things that I hadn't seen before. Ah, you don't have to do that all the time. Well, that, that's good then, because I didn't do that this week. Because I went back <laughs> to 1993 and watched Ticks. <laughs> with um uh, seth green and uh alfonso romero yeah so have you seen this a bit of a memory test i do not expect you to remember this it was right at the start of the 90s side quest i watched ticks fuck really mm-hmm. yep yep but um, i'm quite happy to hear what you thought about it on rewatch because i thought it was really fun oh i think it's great it's uh it's a film that i absolutely adore uh it's uh gross at points uh it's kind of weird seeing Alfonso Ribeiro play an arsehole in it. Uh, yeah, also like a kind of air quotes cool guy. It's kind of yeah. like the bit in Fresh Prince when uh, Carlton goes for the interview for Princeton and pretends to be a rapper or like cool like Will. He's like doing that the entire film. Yeah, he yeah, is. Uh, it's, it's bizarre. This is a great film. Uh, it's available on Prime right now, uh, so nothing's stopping you going and watching this. It's a lot of fun. It's nice and icky. The effects are great. It's directed by Tony Randall, who did Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. Yeah, go and watch it. Tex, it's, it's, it's exactly what you think it would be. <laughs> okay, cool. Unless you're a teacher and the idea of a film about loads of ticks is in some way triggering to you as you try to work through your piles of homework. Oh, I'm quite pleased you went back to Tex. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty pleased about it myself. Excellent. Good stuff. A strong choice for both the 90s and Nature Gone Wild. Good stuff. <laughs> so... What have they been saying? Feedback time then. And unsurprisingly, um, a lot of you getting in touch and having a lot to say about the graveyard story. Oh, man. Yeah, this has been a wild old ride, to be honest with you. Yeah, now, uh, obviously, I knew that I liked this film a lot and thought it was really fun and thought there was a lot to get out of it. Didn't know if that would be the case for everyone else. (laughs) Sure. People have showed up for uh, the graveyard story i gotta say i've got to say as well by the way and in, in the intervening few days i've i've cooled a little bit on the graveyard story interesting because you weren't that hot on it in the first place no no and the more i think about it i'm just a bit like oh, that wasn't great so it's kind of like i feel like i'm now in the minority uh for being less hot in the graveyard story well i feel like keon o'brien is unsure of which side of the line he's on he says graveyard story is a roller coaster ride it's like a super awkward super canadian so so canadian twin peaks that's so close to being boring except for occasional moments of absolute <laughs> ridiculousness slash potential brilliance there is so much to process very difficult to argue with that yeah but yeah there are moments where it is quite boring i i feel oh yeah like the, the, the absolute a to b of the investigation is not fun <laughs> Uh, Kevin Matthews at Saltire Popcorn got in touch to say, Finally got to this, and I am glad to be part of the group that has created a safe space for all of us, now inducted into the cult of Ron Hunt. That's the spirit. That's what I like to hear. Mm. The cult of Ron, the second cult of Ron that there's been on the show. <laughs> That's a bit weird. Yep. Uh, we'll have to have a Ron off at some point. Uh, Mince versus Hunt. I've got to be honest with you, so far, I am far more invested in the adventures of Ron Mince. 
Also, the Flavengers universe is far bigger than the Ron Hunt universe as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, quick look, Dr. Lauren McIntyre getting in touch as well. Uh, just to answer your musings, because we did have a question about separation of church and state in terms of death records. Of course. Dr. Lauren McIntyre answering our bureaucratic questions. Just to answer your musings, churches don't keep legal death records like a town council would, but they do tend to keep burial records so they know who's buried in their cemetery. Yeah, well, that's not going to be any use when the girl in question has been buried in a, well, I was going to say an unmarked grave, but it's a very, very, very marked grave. It's the most marked grave ever, but yeah, Lauren does go on to say Father Jonathan obviously didn't include Dolly in the register because her burial was secret. So that does answer that question. It does, yeah. And while we're on the subject of Dr. Lauren, uh, I've got a couple of things from her partner in crime, Darren Gaskell, at Darren underscore <laughs> okay. Gaskell. Of course, they, they took your words on the graveyard story previously, and did an extensive discussion article on the Horacist. Yes, they did what I would characterise as a deep dive into it. Yeah, so they're pretty grounded in the events of the film and the the, the intricacies of maybe not the investigation, but certainly the, the, the intricacies of the deeper story. I think that they could both convincingly add a Ron Hunt historian to their Twitter bios. <laughs> Darren says, say what you want about Vicky. Uh, Vicky, of course, being the incredibly thirsty reporter. Yes. Her voracious sexual appetite doesn't get in the way of getting the job done. She's a shitload more efficient than Ron in tracking down the lead she's been given. Dr. McGregor probably should have hired her instead. And on the subject of Dr. McGregor, his shag bragging is extremely distasteful. Oh, I'm so emotionally tortured, but let me tell you all about the times I did this hot nurse. That's exactly how it plays out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Darren also mentioned, because the conversation on this on the Chud Locker was sprawling, mm -hmm. that nobody, not only did anybody check the contents of the coffin mm -hmm. that obviously went on to not contain the remains of Dolly Cooper, also nobody commented on the fact that it was an extremely lightweight coffin that definitely didn't have a body in it because you could carry it, like you could presumably carry it like very, very easily because it was just an empty box. Yeah, it, presumably he just tossed it over his shoulder in the same way that Arnold Schwarzenegger carries that big log on his shoulder in Commando. I mean, presumably, yeah. Yeah. Andrew Barron at Mr. Underscore Blunderbuss <laughs> getting in touch to say that you, Mitch, have really excelled yourself with this one. Um, my only fear is that now, like Icarus, you've flown too close to the sun. How can you ever top it? Andrew, I can say with complete confidence that I won't. <laughs> it's all downhill from here, and for that I can only apologise. Chris Scallop also watched The Graveyard Story this week, saying, Just watch this truly astounding film. It's a bold <laughs> assertion. Um, if anyone ever complains about predictable movies, I think I'll show them this one. Stop just before Ron heads to the big city and ask them to tell me what happens next. I do seem to have missed something though. Why was Ron searching for a butcher in the auto shops and scrapyards? Now what I will say is that, because um, uh, I saw this, and Stephen Wales appointed himself a plot inconsistency debunker. There was a couple of times this week on the Locker that people asked questions uh, about things that seemed like silly plot inconsistencies. Because like for that one, when Chris was like, why was he looking for a butcher in an auto shop? St Stephen Wales, quick as a flash, was in being like, um, well, when uh, when he saw the picture of, um, of Vic, he was standing outside an auto shop. So that's why he went there. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Stephen watched it twice. But you would have as good a chance of finding a butcher in an auto shop as you would a butcher who moonlights as a back alley bookie and shoeshine man 
film is ridiculous. <laughs> Hearing that come out my own mouth there is... It's a bunch of words I never imagined I would say. 100%, yeah, definitely. Um, Chris, I mean, the level of digging in that happened on this was remarkable this week. I've got to hand it to everybody. It was so much fun reading it all. Chris Skelp also identified that Vic's band, the Tin Eddies, are a real band. What? Yep. Uh, found uh, found both their song, What Did I Do Last Night, on YouTube and their album on Discogs. So here's me, right? When we were discussing potentially putting a Tin Eddies song at the end of the, the film, and I was like, you're never going to fucking find that. You'll never find that anywhere, but... I could be wrong. I could have been wrong there. Oh yeah, it, it seems like it's like actually it's like surprisingly readily accessible. Fuck. Um staying in the Chudlocker, uh Gorehound got in touch saying, Out of all the films I've ever seen, this is most definitely one of them. <laughs> and a very strange watchable charm for me. I just don't understand why you wouldn't tell a PI you thought the girl was your daughter in the first place to save both time and money. I guess that logic isn't good for storytelling, let alone graveyard storytelling. Mm. Cracking episode, though, guys, and another reminder for me that there's always stuff out there that you've never heard of that's well worth a go. This is kind of what I was hoping people would get from this episode, so that was really nice to read. And uh, Stephen Wales, um, with a nod to your favourite sequence of the film, Andy, getting in touch, saying, this episode was built for pleasure, and you can listen to it anywhere, in your office or your car. <laughs> Stevie Reeve watched it. Uh, he's a man who's known for his uh, trolls to the bottom of the cinematic barrel, and even he seemed to be somewhat flummoxed by the events of Graveyard Story. Given Stevie's propensity for watching shit, I was actually mm. quite surprised by just how outspoken Stevie was in his hatred of uh, the Graveyard Story. <laughs> well, he, he said here, uh, so far a bloke has changed coats while touching a statue of a little girl who was crying. <laughs> now the women in the research place or library try <laughs> Even though it's a newspaper like <laughs> building. Uh, tried to swig a bottle of wine that was clearly unopened and bespectacled misery guts. James Patrick Duffy weighed in in response, saying, that's the offices of the local paper, I'll have you know. And she's a well-respected, sexually aggressive and, I can only assume, partially deaf journalist of the highest repute. Oh, that's amazing. Laura Bynan also uh, in the Two Watch Club for the Great Red Story. Second Jeez. watch last night, The Power of Ron Compelled Me. <laughs> I don't. I can't see me having a second watch of the Graveyard Story anytime soon. I'll have a third soon. I can feel it in my bones. <laughs> Do you have anything else on the Graveyard Story? Because I'm cleaned out. Uh, I'm almost there as well. Dan Popomatic, our pal and recent patron, got in touch saying whatever its name is, because he did get the he had a little bit of title confusion uh, sure. when he talked about it. But he did say it's fucking incredible in every sense of the words. <laughs> Which is hard to argue with. The Chudlocker on Facebook, which if any of you aren't familiar, we have a Facebook group for listeners called The Chudlocker. That is uh, moderated by myself and Darren Gaskell. Mm -hmm. And the conversation in there is so much fun. And there's no way, generally week on week, I can probably generally relay most of it. There was no way I could have done that this week without the show running into hours. Yes. This is a really, really lovely thing. And it's basically turned into kind of a bad movie club. Uh, this week, which has been really cool and really fun, but mostly prompted by uh, Andrew Barron in the first instance getting in touch, saying, as of today, I'm embarking on a four-week work project that's going to see me locked away on my laptop all day and most evenings. Goodness. In order to help me stay sane or otherwise, my iPad will be nearby with Amazon Prime running, and I'm looking for any old shite from which I can get a watch list going. And he mentioned things like Devil's Express and Terror in Beverly Hills and stuff like that that people have been talking about before. Mm -hmm. And he immediately tagged uh, James Patrick Duffy, Stevie, who has obviously been the shite film ringleader, 
and uh, also our pal Canel as well, who is uh, killing it with the Chibi recommendations on mm, there as well. Yeah. But this basically prompted a lot of people to weigh in with their favourite kind of generally accessible bad films, and it's been so much fun to read. I have no idea when I'll get around to watching them all, but um, the level of like engagement and involvement with this kind of thing is really, really fun and really gratifying to see. Yeah, guys, you're all amazing. Um, James Patrick Duffy took it a step further even than what Andrew Barron's planning. And he said, uh, so tomorrow marks the first official at-home mini-fest, which I have declared SFF, the the acronym, of course, for Shite Film Friday. Um, My suggestion was that SFF stood for Stevie's Film Festival. Yeah. This is mainly the fault of my weak disposition and sheep-like personality and the charm and persistence of Stevie Reeve. Tomorrow's lineup is as follows, and there's a couple of titles here that you may recognise because Stevie's maybe watched them before. You've just mentioned a couple of them yourself. Uh, Devil's Express, Night of the Demon, Terror in Beverly Hills, and Night of the Dribbler, which I know that Stevie Reeve did watch a couple of weeks ago, and I thought the poster looked interesting because it looked like a anthropomorphized basketball. Yep, yep, did seem that way. Uh, Stevie was very quick to caution us all away from it, which he doesn't do often. If no. Stevie tells you to not watch something, I take it seriously. Yeah. I am just about cleaned out on uh, feedback. I uh, just want to say a quick hello to a couple of people who said some nice things when we put the mini-sode out on Monday. A couple of people just got in touch. Uh, Kevin Matthews saying homework done, letting us know that he'd watched the Graveyard Story. Paddy Murphy was listening. And also just want to say hello to James Rodriguez as well, who said, these mini-sodes help me greatly with Mondays. Thank you. And that's always nice to hear. So uh, thank you very much to all of you. A couple other things from me, and then we can move on to other matters. Uh, Rob Thorpe on The Gate loved it and has just seen there's a sequel. I didn't know there was a sequel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. Is it good? Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay, I should watch that. Okay, nice. Cool. Yeah, and uh, Laura Bynan again, uh, revisiting after the episode, which was great. Haven't seen it since the 80s, and it holds up well. Good-natured without being sappy. Think Mitch said kids on bikes without it being kids on bikes. That's true, he did. Um, and yeah, it's it's just a great film. It's just an excellent little time capsule film. A ripping good time. Mm. And I've got another thing here coming in on email, if you can believe it holy shit someone emailed us yeah I, I, i'm really sorry i am going to fuck this surname terribly um it's okay. jason bujnosek bujnosek okay i'm so fucking sorry jason that's an absolute shambles hey guys i'm way behind on my podcast so i only just got to the one with the dr butcher md poster um, which you may recall uh, was a Mitch's pitch image, Mitch. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you asked about the circle thing that doctors used to wear on their heads. Yes. Yeah, I did. Mm. Yeah, the, the the like mirror disc. Yeah, that looks like a CD like stuck to your forehead. Yeah, mm-hmm, I did. Um, I think that David Malcolm offered us a kind of explanation at the time. Is Jason expanding? Yes, it's imaginatively called a head mirror. <laughs> Back before there were pen-sized flashlights and such, doctors would use it to help shine light where they needed to have a better look. Doctors would swing it down and look through a small hole in the middle and they would then position a light to reflect off the mirror and into the patient's throat or whatever. Oh, cool. Okay. So there you go, Jason. Thank you for that email. That's incredibly enlightening. And again, apologies for making an absolute cunt of your name. But yeah, no, cool. That's the, the, like, I love this stuff. I love this stuff. You guys are really killing it right now. Yeah. Back wide. Like, I mean, like my, my lockdown has been aided enormously by the fact that all of you have been so engaged and so fun. I've said it about three times in the past five minutes, but you're all, to a man, to a woman, fucking amazing. Yep, couldn't agree more. I am done with feedback, apart from feedback of a very specific persuasion. Yes! I switched switch
It is once again time for Mitch's Pitches. Mitch's Pitches is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment. While we're recording, Andy will send a picture to my phone. It'll be a poster from a horror film from years gone by. People have photoshopped out the title and the tagline, any other identifying text, leaving only the image. It'll fall to me to describe the image to the best of my ability and give it a title and a synopsis. We will also share the image on all of our social media platforms so you guys can join in too. Uh, of which loads you did last week. We had Hack a Lantern last week, a uh, mm-hmm. recent Shudder sensation. Have you watched it yet? Not yet, no, no. Uh, hopefully this week. But I reappropriated it as Seeds of Evil, the petrifying putrefaction of the pumpkin patch prowler. <laughs> yes, you did, yes. <laughs> no, i got to say, if you thought that mine was Hazar-worthy, Andy. Well, I didn't really, but <laughs> you won me round uh, in the dying seconds with your alliterative post-colon title. Just you wait until you hear the standard of pitch that we've had this week. So loads of you getting in touch. And honestly, uh, it was solid gold across the board. So I'm just going to read them all. Um, Cosmic Ray Girl on Twitter. It's 1994's Pumpkin Rangers. It's forking time. <laughs> few people going down the Power Rangers angle, actually, but we'll get Ooh. to that. A Hanny underscore Ray on Twitter. Farmer Jim regrets dressing up his scarecrow for Halloween when he is blamed for a spate of brutal pitchfork murders that witnesses swear were perpetrated by the creature. It's monstrosity. E-I-E-I die. Lovely. Lovely. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> Bill Carr, first time pitcher. A horny demon hatches from a giant pumpkin egg and causes mayhem in He's a Demonic Tusky Bastard. <laughs> I like that plenty. Yes, that tickled me in a way, and I cannot precisely articulate why that was. I don't know what it was about it that made me laugh so much, but it worked. C.P. Buckley on Instagram. Halloween night, 1985. A group of children are murdered by strange creatures. It's a case that's haunted... It's got to be that Cardman. ...for 30 years. Now in 2015, Dick hears about a new threat. A group of local high schoolers have been beset by strange nightmares of creatures attacking them in darkness. Newly retired from the police force, Dick travels to Harper Springs to find if this is the result of the same killer or killers. When he arrives, he meets a strange man who tells him that the children are being targeted by the Nyumwang... An ancient Chinese demon. Now Dick must find a way to stop the demons and save the teens. It's the ill-advised 2007 reboot, The Hardman Factor, The Children of the Future. <laughs> lovely, lovely. God bless Dick Hardman. I really like Harper Springs as a fictional place name. Yeah, me too. Um, that's that, that's going to get stolen. Pretty strong. Uh, Kean O'Brien, not so keen on uh, Instagram. When a maniacal Kevin Smith fan surgically turns unsuspecting trident collector Guy Three Prongs into a walrus monstrosity, he is near losing the will to live. The only thing that keeps him going is the pride of his collection, the centuries-old supposedly magic trident known only as Jim. Right. However, when thugs break into his home, causing havoc and irreparably bending Jim's three prongs, he uses what's left of the tool to seek bloody vengeance. You bent his trident? Well, you must die, Vent. In 1986's <laughs> Antiquity Exploitation Gem, try Bent 3. Try Bent with a vengeance. <laughs> uh, Travis J. Good, don't fork with the Great Pumpkin. All right, okay, lovely. Uh, James Rodriguez, after losing against the Power Rangers one too many times, arch-enemy Demon Face decides to pack up the supervillainy and try to follow his dreams. Moving to rural Canada, he opens up a business selling pumpkins, which he carves using his gardening fork hand. Mm. Because the locals want to support a new business, he's a hit. 
less convinced are the Power Rangers, who disbelieve his change, awaiting Demon Face to return to his old ways of kidnapping postal workers and ejaculating into people's milk. <laughs> what can this ex-villain do to convince the mighty Morphin teenagers he's changed? Don't miss the 1995 inspirational feature, There's No Business Like Pumpkin Business. <laughs> That's a silly title. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, Carl Anthony Smart, uh, getting in touch. Forked off Farmers 2, the pumpkin pandemic penetrator. Okay. <laughs> okay. A couple more to go. Kevin Matthews, having been visited by the ghost of Joe Spinell, a young woman by the name of May Niak. Ah, uh, right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Heads off on a Halloween killing spree that sees her smashing people's heads into pumpkins before carving them hollow and removing the tops. A new way of disfiguring and scalping victims that allows her to see them as nothing more than seasonal decorations. She's unstoppable and unbelievably cruel, but will also do anything to protect her pet pug, Lil Joe. <laughs> Maybe that's the secret to stopping her rampage. It's the wild and belated 1992 sequel, Maniac 2. Halloween Maniac goes out of her gourd. <laughs> Dubbed and recut for the Italian release entitled The Gird, the Mad, and the Pugly. <laughs> Very good. And to close, Tony Constantine. What? I know. When the people of Hell's Handbasket find themselves at the mercy of the Night Gobblers, a sinister group <laughs> of masked menaces, hell-bent on stealing the town's pumpkin supply for some reason, all hope rests with local library assistant and sixth-grade punchbag Dudley Blundergulp to solve the mystery. <laughs> Now, as he spirals deeper into a web of deceit, deception, duplicity, and Satanism, Dudley must team up with disgraced pumpkinologist Dr. Seymour Bushcartons to help uncover the conspiracy. <laughs> and put an end to the nefarious nerdy-wells in director Buck Fluckenshuck's sophomore shitbox classic. <laughs> Dudley Blundergulp and the nightly forking pumpkin arrangers. Deadly blunder gulp and the nightly forking pumpkin arrangers. <laughs> oh, oh man, that was fucking amazing. Guys, before we pick winners, hats off to all of you. Oh man. Oh. Absolutely staggering stuff across the board. However, there can only be one, two, or possibly four winners. So, Andy, best character <laughs> name and best pitch, please. It's a clean sweep for Tony Constantino. That was uh, that was gold. So, um, so are you going with Dudley Blundergulp, Seymour Bush curtains, and also Dudley Blundergulp and the Nightly Fork and Pumpkin Arrangers? Uh, uh, the, the names. It, it doesn't matter which name you choose. Uh, they're they're great. And yeah. Okay, yeah. they're occupying the top two spaces. Yes. Happy with it. Tony, welcome back, and uh, congratulations on your clean sweep, a double helping and nothing winging its way to you. Mm -hmm. So, yep, are you ready? Sure. Check this one out. Oh my god. Mm. There's a lot going on. Okay, 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 cool. I can do this. Oh, completely unfazed. I like it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, I like, yeah, my thresholds are being surprised by things is getting chipped away every week. Um, but this week is no different. So, yeah, let's do this, right? Okay, so the border of the image is white. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh. Let's see now. Okay, so we appear to be in the kind of like main thrust of the image. We appear to be underground, or certainly in a building that is like quite old and archaic looking and fashioned out of stone. I would go so far as to call that a temple. Potentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like yeah, stone or yeah, stone, granite, you know. Um. But yeah, in the like at the absolute back of this like vast hall that we're looking at, we can see. A hooded man or woman, impossible to tell, even with zoom in, with her hands raised aloft, and a bunch of people 
gathered around some of which seem to be fleeing and most of them appear to be kind of hooded or wearing kind of like gowns like you'd associate with monks sure okay mm -hmm. um in the foreground of the image we have a, a shirtless man in jeans and white trainers they look like adidas trainers they do look yeah. like adidas trainers yeah, um, he is wearing a wristwatch and has a shock of black hair and a pretty strong beard moustache combo. Um, he is fleeing the scene, I would say, and with him is a woman, a fair-haired Caucasian woman, wearing a red or pink underwear. I don't think she's wearing a bra, but she is wearing a blue and white pinstripe shirt that is unbuttoned. Do you suppose that that shirt belonged to the man previously and he's trying to hide what? her shame? Quite possibly, quite possibly, I would say. Also, I can see that there is a woman in a state of both some undress and distress that's about to be chopped in half by a another hooded figure holding a gigantic axe aloft. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is there a word for that? Because I know that's not really an axe, but it's like, well, like, like you know, the, 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 the massive bladed thing on a very long stem. But either way, it's, it's that. Um, <laughs> and... Um, this this entire scene, this entire tableau, is being overseen by a red-eyed man-boar hybrid who's kind of like hulking over it with like human hands with claws. Yeah, like I said, glowing red eyes, uh, horns on his head, and seems to be blowing fire out of his snout. Right. Sure. So I think okay. that that is just about everything. I would say um, underground temple uh, staffed by hooded figures. Staffed? Yeah, I'm going to say staff, yeah. Gather around while a naked woman is chopped in half and beshirted, mustachioed, bearded man pulls woman in state of some undress to safety. Uh, premise overseen by fire-breathing boar man. Right, okay. D did you ever see the, the, the book The Joy of Sex? Uh, I can't say that I did, no. The man and woman here in the foreground very much resemble the illustrations of the man and woman who are uh, fucking on every page. Mm, how the mighty fall. Hmm. Right, I'll need a moment. Uh, sure, um, yeah, you're welcome to it. Now let me tell you something about this image, Mitch, while you, okay. while you ponder and while you structure your, your pitch. This image was a listener's suggestion. Was it? This image came in courtesy of the Cousin Soho vampire, Stevie Reeve. Oh, because it's so cool, vampire. I love it. Okay, cool. Right. Oh, I'm excited. Right. Um. So, so I, I love it when listeners do that. We don't get them very often. That's cool. No, okay. No. Uh, I also, I would like to say, much. I just I can't really blow past. I, I can't get it out of my head that you assumed that this temple was staffed by these monk type characters, as if it's like a B and Q, and they're drawing a salary at the end of this. Look, if everybody else in there is wearing a monk gown, mm. then are you telling me that the payroll administrator is wearing a shirt and tie? Well, he this guy here could have been the payroll administrator because <laughs> he's the only person that's in any way had a shirt at some point. I mean, this is very true. Um, okay, there is a lot to unpack here. I don't mind telling you, but mm. um, I am putting something together here. Okay, okay. I've, I've, done, I've done a tiny extrapolation. A tiny right. one. Lay it on me. Right, okay. Veteran historian and archaeologist Doug Plentyholes has one last expedition to make before retirement. Aided by his fiancée and long-term assistant Penny Parsons, he ventures underground to investigate sprawling catacombs thought to exist under the rural town of Little Foreboding. 
expecting at best to find some puzzling inscriptions and possibly some fancy old bones little does doug know that he and penny are soon to be in mortal danger inadvertently uncovering an underground cult of hooded figures prone to ritualistic chanting and sacrificing trespassers with enormous axes it's up to doug penny and local tour guide seymour pamphlets to escape before the cult before the cult complete the sacrifice and summon their warlord a gigantic demonic fire-breathing man boar who will rise to the surface on his faithful steed to wreak fiery vengeance on the townspeople above get ready to buckle up and tunnel down in 1977's cult favorite the boar horseman the final expedition of parsons and plenty holes <laughs> right uh, okay uh right uh-huh. sure yeah I tell you you're way off base with your uh, estimation of what this fire-breathing creature is, for it is indeed a minotaur. How embarrassing for me. Okay, right, mm. okay. Um, while we're talking about things that I presumably got very wrong, how far was I on the year? What year did you say? 77. I can tell you. You are one year out. It's 1976. Oh, okay, <laughs> I'll take that, I'll take that. Um, what's the film? The film is the Donald Pleasance and Peter Cushing starring... Land of the Minotaur. Oh, excellent. Okay, cool. Who's synopsisizing for us today? Well, Pickens were slim, to be honest with you, Mitch. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and as far as synopses go, this isn't the best we've ever had. But it's coming in from uh, Dylan Connor, who I think might be a first-time IMDb synopsisizer. Certainly for our purposes, yeah. It goes like this. A satanic cult kidnaps three young people, and priest Donald Pleasance and Costas Scuras must save them from the hands of this evil! Exclamation mark. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. Is this good? Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. It looks interesting. I'd be glad to agree with you there, yes. <laughs> Big thank you to Stevie for submitting the poster, and mm-hmm. uh, that image is now everywhere. That concludes Mitch's pictures, but we want to hear from you uh on this one i think that you guys will drum up some good stuff but whether you're top this week remains to be seen wow great work guys absolutely incredible and good work from you too mitch big fan of the surname plenty holes yeah i just realized that when she marries him she'll become penny plenty holes yeah and then she sounds like a, a character from a james bond film that's very true actually yeah yeah so it's all tied together very nicely streaming platforms this week then so I want to say right out of the gate that Netflix has abandoned horror completely for the moment as the Netflix Christmas train hurtles inexorably towards December. <laughs> is that it? Is it just, that's it? Nothing else? No, you, nothing you had your month. More. They do have a couple of things in coming in December, which we'll get to as and when. But uh, this week, yeah, elsewhere, we do have some stuff. Uh, some pretty interesting stuff as well, I must say. Amazon Prime then. On November 18th, we have Bodycam, which uh, stars mm. Nat Wolf and Mary J. Blige. Right. While investigating the murder of a fellow officer, veteran Rene Lomito discovers a mysterious figure in the body cam footage haunted by visions of the event. She suspects something supernatural is targeting the cops in her unit. Now, in a race against time to find the one person who can stop these killings, Rene uncovers a sinister secret among the police force surrounding the shooting and cover-up of an unarmed youth. James. Yeah. November 20th, we have got, that's the Friday, the Seven Stages to Eternal Bliss. Oh, shit! Formerly titled The Seven Stages to Achieve Eternal Bliss by Passing Through the Gateway Chosen by the Holy Storch. <laughs> this closed celluloid screams 2018. A couple learns that their apartment is being used for a deranged cult's ritualistic suicides. This is a very charming horror comedy. I really liked this. I, I know a lot of people yeah. were a lot colder on it than I was, but I really liked it. Yep, this stars uh, Kate McCucci and Taika Waititi. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, I was a big fan of this. I would say go check that out. Sky Cinema then, on Friday the 20th, we have Blumhouse's Fantasy Island. Maggie Q, Michael Pena, Lucy Hale, and Michael Rooker star in Blumhouse's film version of the 1970s TV show. 
And Saturday 21st, we have the photograph. After her mum dies, a famous photographer's daughter finds a secret picture in a safe deposit box that turns her world upside down. And mm. needless to say, Shudder have got your back this week. On Monday the 16th, we've got Blood of Wolves. Rookie detective Hioka is given a crash course in subterfuge and street smarts by his veteran partner as the two attempt to take down the mob. This is a Japanese crime film set with 100% on Rotten Tomatoes from 2018. All right, okay. So it sounds pretty cool to me. And speaking of things that sound pretty cool to me, on Thursday we've got Leap of Faith, William Friedkin on The Exorcist. It's a cinematic essay on The Exorcist. Leap of Faith explores the uncharted depth of director William Friedkin's mind's eye, the nuances of his filmmaking process, and the mysteries of faith and fate that have shaped his life and filmography. Lovely. So that's available on Shudder from Thursday. That's your lot for this week. I would say for a pick, um, for things that I've seen, Seven Stages uh, by a distance, I loved it. Mm-hmm. I'm going but to really. Uh, oh, cool. Okay, yeah. And uh, really curious about Blood of Wolves as well. But that Exorcist documentary sounds great as well. Shudder killing it as usual. So turn on attentions to this week's show. Are you ready for this, Mitch? Are you okay? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Honestly, we have a guest this week. Yes, we do. Regular listeners to the show will know that this is quite a big deal for me. <laughs> Don't mind saying it. He is the director of such films as Kindred Spirits, The Woman, and Me. We are joined this week by Lucky McKee. <sighs> Finally, we'll have Lucky McKee joining us on the show, Mitch, and, and I can only assume that what we're going to get is a whole array of giggling from yourself. I will keep a lid on that to the best of my ability. Right. I, I would ask that you, you exercise professionalism. I'll do my very best. I'll do my very best. I don't know why you'd expect me to start doing that now, but okay. <laughs> That's the spirit. So which film has he chosen, Andy? Well, it's an interesting one, because we're going back to 2012 here. Um... To join Rachel McAdams and Numira Pass in a late-era Brian De Palma film, it's the sexy, I don't mind telling you, smoky thriller, Passion. Sure is, Brian De Palma's Passion. We're talking that film with Lucky McKee this week. If you want to check it out, certainly in the UK, it's available on Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. And i got to tell you, it's a hell of a ride. (laughs) It really, really is. Uh, But yes, the director of May... The woman, all cheerleaders die, kindred spirits, and many more. Lucky McKee joins us this week to talk Brian De Palma's passion. How are you feeling about that? Are you as excited about it as I am? Get in touch through uh, all the usual platforms. Facebook and Instagram, we're Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC. You can email stronglanguagevioluntscenes at gmail.com and you can interact with other listeners on our Facebook group, The Chudlocker. Yep, and check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Strong Language Violent Scenes. We have stuff coming this week, so steal yourselves. Sure do. Yeah. Take a look. Lots of tears, lots of stuff going on. We'll be planning another watch-along soon for patrons as well. Lovely. All that stuff and more. However, we are back this Friday talking passion with Lucky McKee. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, there's better to die a hero than live his food in a world of chance. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. 